He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands all people, everyone, to repent. This is God's word. So I'm here, finally. Um, it's been all this time, and I've never been invited to speak here. <laughs> There's a reason. It's because Andy and John and now Cruz know me really well, and they think, eh, give him some time. So, um, no, it's really, really good to be here. I, um, I'm thankful for the invitation. I, I love your pastors and um, your interns, and this church is just part of my heart. And um, I have longed to see the kingdom of God expand in Tucson. Um, when I moved down here over 25 years ago, it was to plant a church, and it was to expand the kingdom of God, and God has given me the desires of my heart um, in the village, but he's also uh, expanding the, commu the, the community of believers, um, adding all of you, and so, yeah, it's really good to be here. Um, tonight, I'm gonna talk about um, see, and this is how it works. They give me the ugly thing to talk about. They, they take all the nice things, you know, the hope and glory and grace and all that stuff, but then they stick me with repentance, right? Um, so I thought a lot about that this week. Um, one of our most difficult struggles, I think, um, the one thing that we struggle with, all of us as Christians, is coming to grips with God's timing, right? We don't like God's timing. We're always waiting around for him to do what we want him to do. Like he's at our beck and call, but he's not really doing his job. We get pretty impatient waiting for him. He doesn't give us the new job that we want or the new car or a spouse or kids or anything. We, we want it and we want it now. We want it fast. And he doesn't give us the things we want fast. And often, not at all. God can be to us, I think, a little bit like a procrastinating Santa Claus who forgets that it's Christmas Eve and waits around till like March 15, 16 to give us some poorly wrapped present that wasn't really what we wanted anyway. God can really disappoint us. We just get so tired of waiting for him to act. And there are reasons for that, of course. The first reason, I think, is that we and we alone know what is best for us. Hmm? Yep. We know what's best. I, I know what's best for me. Uh, nice as Andy and John and, and Cruz and Jared are, they, they, they don't know me like I know me, and they don't know what I need. Only I know what's best for me. We live that out all the time. 
But I want to tell you, it's a myth. It's an absolute myth. Actually, there's only one person that knows you best, and that's God. God knows you better than anyone, including you. You can deceive other people. I have. They, they think I'm a nice guy. Um, you can do that all day long. You, you can deceive other people. You can present well. More importantly, you can deceive yourself. You're really good at it. You deceive your spouse. And then spouses, we kind of come up with these agreements, right, where I won't go after your sin, but you don't go after mine either, right? We kind of do that thing. That's not good, just so you know. Mine doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yours will. <laughs> you know what you need, but it's often wrong. When I was a kid, I loved horses. There is no one in this room that loved horses more than I did. We didn't have a horse, but my cousins did. I would go riding all the time. Uh, matter of fact, my one cousin, they had a horse that was 28 years old. We used to climb up on the apple tree and then drop down on its back and sit there and beat it with apple switches and try to get it to run, and it would just look back at us like, what, I'm old, I ain't doing this. But I loved horses. I, I loved riding horses, I loved hanging out. I, I read every book about horses that you can imagine is in the library. Black Beauty, what a great story, right? Like, ugh, just gets you right there. It still does. I loved horses, and so I prayed that I would, when I got older, I would be able to work with horses. I prayed that God would make me a jockey. I, I want, I, this is serious, folks. I, I really wanted to be a jockey. I knew a lot about horses. I loved racing. I was sure that I would be a great jockey. Not just a good jockey, a great jockey. The kind of jockey that rides secretariat to the finish line, right? That kind of jockey. I think we can all agree that I'd be a very unemployable jockey. So in my better interest, God said no to what I wanted and what I knew was good for me. Now some of you are thinking, because you're soft-hearted, and I, and I like that. Some of you are thinking, Rod, if you really want to be a jockey, you should just be a jockey. You can be anything you want. No, you can't. You cannot. I cannot be a jockey. There's no place where they race Clydesdales, right? <laughs> my, my family went horseback riding, and, and the guy said, you know, you're 325 pounds. I, I don't want you riding my horse. And I said, oh, shoot, you know? And, and he, says, he says, do you know how to plow rain? And I said, yeah, I grew up on the farm. I know how to plow rain. He goes, okay. And he brings out this giant Clydesdale called Goliath, and that was my horse. It was a great horse. We had a good time. God said no. Today, even if I'm pretty bad at it, I'm a much better pastor and preacher than I ever would have been a jockey. We think we know what's best for us. We don't. 
A second reason is that we believe we know timeliness better than God. We don't want to wait. We don't believe that self-denial is good for us. But we're wrong. Self-denial and patience build godly character in us. They teach us dependence and submission, which are crucial to a life of faith. Self-denial builds trust in the goodness of God. Waiting on God is good for you. Imam always used to say, oh, this is good for you. And I, no, it doesn't. I don't think it's going to be. And it rarely felt like it in the moment. But somehow mom knew that if she didn't punish me for the things I was doing wrong or, didn't, or just gave me, you know, ice cream before dinner every night, that I would get pretty sick pretty quickly. So we're not happy with waiting on God. But here's the kicker. Did you know something from this passage that we read? Did you, did you hear it? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come, to come to repentance. God is waiting for you. That's right. He's waiting for you. And he's waiting for you in a very specific area. He's waiting for you to repent. He's waiting for you to engage repentance. Peter is writing a letter to the people of God. He's not writing to people who don't know God, which we often think when we're reading that book or that, that passage. He says he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. That's kind of crazy. We understand that people out there need to repent or they'll perish. We get that. And we think it's great that God is waiting for them. Good for you, God. Thumbs up. But Peter isn't writing to them out there. He's writing to us. He's writing to believers. And he says, I'm patient with you. He says, I'm patient with you, Rod. I, I'm waiting for you to repent. And he's saying the same thing to all of you who believe, to all who believe. And I start thinking, well, I gave my life to Christ. He forgave me my sins. I'm good. He's obviously needs to be working on other people, but he's not really waiting for me because I've arrived. But it's not true. He's waiting on me and he's waiting on you if you're a believer. He's waiting on, on you to repent. Why is that? Why do I need to repent? Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because his whole return, like he, Peter's talking about the return of Jesus, he's saying he's not slow in keeping his promises. And we're going, yeah, he's kind of slow. Um, but 
you're the reason, your failure to repent is the reason that he's delaying Christ's coming. <laughs> Have you thought about that? That freaks me out. That's scary. I, I'm the reason he's delaying because I need to repent. Repentance is a really interesting concept. It, it's not the same as the element that John Simon talked about last week in this wonderful series of messages that you guys are, are going through on the things that Christians do. Last week, John talked about confession. R repentance isn't the same. It isn't the same thing as confession at all. Confession is really just agreeing with God that you've messed up. Agreeing that you've sinned. Agreeing that you've done wrong. And John talked about, last week, talked about how hard it is to confess. How difficult it is. Because why? We want to avoid shame, right? We don't like shame. I don't want to feel bad. I want good feelings. I want happy stuff. It's kind of like me. I, I, I'd rather be preaching on grace and goodness and letting, instead they stick me with repentance, right? Like, we don't like that. We want to avoid shame. We don't want to look bad. Confession outs us, and we want to avoid that. But in doing it, John reminded us, we have our burdens lifted, and more than that, we're filled with joy. Delight. For those of you who don't know me well at all, this will startle you, but I have a degree in business administration and was CFO of a large corporation, and I also failed to re, uh, turn in tax returns for many, many years in a row. I was talking to people about that, our little breakfast the other morning, and I said, the IRS is not long-suffering. <laughs> Eventually, they come after you with a vengeance, and they just take your money. But I... I was so burdened by that, and I was lying to my wife, and I was lying to my friends, and every time people started talking about, what are you getting back from your tax return, I, I get, you know, it was just horrible. I felt shame all the time. But then I confessed. I went to my wife and said, here's what I'm doing. I went to my friends. I said, here's what I'm doing. And then my good friend, Wayne Ribbons, who some of you know, um, said, let's, Rod, you, you know you're, you're forgiven. <laughs> Let, let's get that stuff done. We filed all these tax returns, and I got a huge amount of money back, right? Because <laughs> God's funny. <laughs> so confession, but, but John was right. He talked about this huge burden falling off you. Like, once everybody knows. You know what, what happens when everybody knows? When, when, Guess what? Satan also knows. And so he's disarmed, right? He no longer has stuff against you. We hide our sins, right? We, we do it in darkness, right? And what's done in darkness will be revealed in the light. Uh, when, when you reveal it in the light yourself, Satan goes, crap, can't use that anymore. Confession, hard as it may be, is easy compared to repenting. 
The word for repentance in Scripture primarily means to turn away from and to turn around. You're going one direction, you turn around, you go the other direction. You're walking over here, oops, boop, up, now you're walking over here. Simple concept, doesn't take a brilliant mind, um, or mine wouldn't have been able to figure it out. Um, you're, you're going one direction, you turn and go the other, but it's more than that. It's, it's a little bit more than that. It's turning around and actually taking a step, because you can just turn around. But it's turning around and actually taking a step in the right direction. It's action. And that's why it's hard for us. Confessing is easy in the sense that, yeah, you just tell somebody and you're done. You tell God and you're done. Repentance is action. It's not just saying, I'm really sorry. It's turning away from the sin that you're doing and taking the step towards God. And that's where things get really hard. Because we're sorry a lot. I'm sorry I got mad at my wife. I'm sorry I lied to my boss. I'm sorry that I stole balloons from the food hub when I was a kid. And I didn't have enough money to buy a big bag of balloons so we could have that amazing water balloon fight that we were planning. But why was I sorry? Why am I sorry? When I yelled at my wife, was I sorry that I had sinned against the God who loves me? Or sorry that she might not let me go on this big long road trip that I'm planning to go on with my brother? When I was sorry for lying to my boss, was I sorry that I had sinned against God? Or was I just concerned that I might lose my job? When I was sorry for stealing those balloons from the food hub, was it because I offended God? Or because my dad caught me, made me confess, forced me to dust shelves for the owner on Saturday mornings for a month instead of playing with my friends? Why are you sorry? Are, are you sorry because you get caught? Are, are you, is your sorrow self-serving? Or do you truly regret what you've done? Not because it gets you in trouble, but because it puts distance between you and God. That you... David talks about that. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned. What? I, I, you sinned against a lot of other people too, and a lot of things. But God is this, this God of the universe is where our sin is always against. Sorrow is great, confession is great, so long as it's proper sorrow and proper confession and not just sorrow that you got exposed, that you got caught. Godly sorrow, Scripture says, leads to repentance. It leads to change. It's action. Early in our marriage, Kathy and I clashed a lot. My wife and I clashed a lot. I was trying to change her 
I was trying to make her into the wife I had hoped she would be instead of the wife that she was. I tried to control her. I cannot tell you how many times in a group I would say, what Kathy means to say is, and one day she said, that's not what I mean at all. I tried to make her into something she wasn't and she almost hated me for it. At the time she was teaching a Bible study with about 40 women at church and she told them about how awful I was. As part of a Bible study thing, she, she just talked about what a, what a bad husband I was. How I was trying to control her, fix her, change her, how I would just do what I was going to do. I didn't listen to her. I didn't care about her feelings, blah, blah, blah. She went on and on. Thankfully, I was not, not there to hear it. But guess what? I heard it from every woman in the church, all the women who were there. Suddenly, women were glaring at me, saying things to me and about me and pointing out that I should take better care of my wife. I should be kinder, more gentle, more thoughtful. It was not a fun time. But some older women took Kathy aside and suggested that perhaps she had sinned against me by doing what she did. I love my wife. She is really awesome. Next year we will celebrate 50 years of marriage. She was deeply convicted by these older women. And so she came to me and said, Rod, I, I want you to come to this Bible study uh, next week on Wednesday. Um, they called it Spice of Life. And I, I said, okay. I was not happy. And she stood up in front of everyone and she said, a couple weeks ago, I trashed my husband in front of all of you. And I was wrong. And I shouldn't have done it. I was angry with him. I'm sorry. So she turns to me and she says, Rod, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I told these women. And then she proceeded to tell them just how wonderful I was. Now, the list was short. Um, <laughs> but she began to list my attributes. She, she began, bang, began to say the, the good things about me. Again, somewhat shorter than the list of my shortcomings. But you know what? Kathy got it right. She got it right. She did more than just say, oh, I'm sorry to me privately. She could have done that. Oh, I'm sorry. That must have hurt you. I'm sorry. No, she, she went a whole bunch of extra miles. It was more than just confession. It was her turning from her sin against me. It was her not just turning, but undoing the wrong making a step in the right direction. I still remember being thoroughly embarrassed, sitting there face red, wishing I was anywhere but there, and then deeply loving the fact, 
deeply basking in the glow of her good words and her action. And that inspired me to change, right? Just a little hint for those of you who are married or in relationships. <clears throat> Criticizing people will never get them to do what you want them to do. You think it will, all it does is turn them the other way. You want to change someone? Tell them about the beautiful things that they do, the good things that they are good at, the things they're good at, the things that, that inspire you about them. Because that, when she was saying these things about me, I'm going, right. But now I want to live up to what she actually thinks I am. In what ways have you sinned against others? And how are you going about repenting? What steps are you taking to mitigate and undo the damage? Now, sometimes the matter's out of your hands. I, I can't make amends to the owner of the food hub for stealing those balloons. He died a long time ago. I'm an old man. The food hub doesn't even exist anymore, so sad. What I can do, however, is bring the matter to God and confess that I should have paid for those balloons and promise to not steal balloons or anything else anymore, certainly not steal groceries anymore, but instead be beyond reproach in dealing with grocers. A few years ago, uh, I got a bunch of bottles of water for some reason, we, and I put them on the bottom of my cart and I went through the grocery store line and I got, you know, had lots of groceries and they checked everything out. And I got home and I looked at the receipt and I realized they hadn't charged me for any of those bottled waters. Like there were 10 of them. And they were jugs, I mean. And they hadn't, they just forgot to do it. So now I have this dilemma, right? If I've repented of stealing from grocers, what do I do? Well. Okay, I got to get back in my car, put the water in there, go back, back to the store. I went up to the clerk who had checked me out, and I said, oh, you know, you screwed up. You didn't charge me for these. I, I still owe you. And she says, oh, thank you for coming to tell me. And about that time, the manager comes over, and he says, what's going on? And I can see her face kind of fall and she says, I didn't charge him. They were on the bottom of the cart, and I didn't charge him. And he said, sir, the waters are yours. They're free. You can just leave. And then he said to the clerk, you're fired. This is too many mistakes. This is the last straw, and I'm taking those waters out of your paycheck. Now I feel like garbage, right? Like I tried to do the right thing and now I'm costing this poor woman her job. Um, so she's in tears. So I walked up and I gave her some money because <laughs> I didn't want to cause damage to her. What, what steps are you taking to mitigate and undo the damage you do? What, like I said, sometimes it's out of your hands. 
So I want to talk a little bit about how to repent. How do you repent? What does it look like? Well, first of all, turn from your sin. If you're sinning in a particular way, stop doing it. Just stop it. <laughs> it's so easily said, isn't it? Just stop it. I have a, I love gambling. I, I, would, I could gamble all day long. I, you put me in a poker game, I'm a happy man. Uh, I used to play, I don't have any money uh, as a kid, but we used to play, you know, penny ante poker, and I loved it. A few years later, I, um, when I was married, I got, I got, uh, my wife got a trip to Vegas, and so we went to Vegas, and she gave me $20, and she said, go gamble. And I said, okay. So I went, and on the second to the last quarter in the slot machine, I won $750. And then I brought it up to her, and she gave me 100 back. She kept the 650. She's smart. Um, and, 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 and then she said, go gamble some more. So I went back down, and I won $60 on the, uh, in a slot machine. And then I won $120 on a slot machine. Every slot machine I played, I won. Worst thing that can ever happen. Because I thought that I was good at playing slot machines. <laughs> Think how stupid that is. But that's where your brain goes, right? That's how you start thinking. So I have to turn from this thing that I would do easily. I would lose our house if I was left to my own devices. Turn from your sin. Stop being defensive about it. When people start bugging me about it, I, I get pretty defensive. I, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, I don't, I don't need help. And don't try to justify your sin. Don't try to justify what you did. John was talking to the kids about justification, right? We justify what we've done. And that's God's job to justify, not us. Don't justify what you did. When I didn't file those taxes, I would justify it. Still do, to some degree. My dad was an accountant. Um, he died when I was 16. When I was about 13, 14 years old, I would come home from school and I would do accounting for him. He had a little accounting business that he ran out of our house. And he was very, very sick with uh, um, emphysema. And um, so he was in bed a lot. And I would come home and I would work and I would balance the books. I, I was a bookkeeper at 13, right? Pretty good one too. And I saw, I wanted to help my dad, and I saw that he had filled out these tax returns, and I figured out how he had done it before and where the numbers came from, so I filled out the tax returns with the new numbers that, that I had created, and I brought it to my dad in the bedroom. He was laying there, he was very sick, and he took one look at it, and he says, what are you doing? You wrote these in ink. If you're wrong, it'll screw it all up and I'll have to go deal with the IRS and that'll take forever. Don't ever do that again. 
And to this day, I get the shakes when I hold tax return stuff. And I was the CFO of a huge auto parts corporation. <laughs> so I hired people to do that stuff for me. <laughs> but that's not a justification for not filing my tax returns. This next one I'm going to tell you to do, this next step is, is kind of, it's not against the advice <laughs> that John gave you last week, because John's advice was incredibly solid. But I want to tweak it just a little bit. Sit briefly in the damage that you've done. Don't wallow in it. Don't sit there forever. But sit there long enough to realize just the impact your sin had. Sit there just long enough so that you know that your sin actually hurts people, that it's actually destroyed people, that it's actually destroying you. Then, then realize that you're forgiven. Ask the Spirit to guide you in turning away from your sin. Remove yourself from the temptations. I don't go to casinos. I just don't. I, 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 I want to. <laughs> I just don't. Remove yourself from the temptation as much as it lies in you to do that. And here's a hugely important one. God, do you know that God put you in this community for a reason? God's called you to this community. You're as called as the pastors are. God's called you to this community. So ask them for help. And not in that little namby-pamby, uh, oh, could you hold me accountable stuff, because you don't mean it, right? But people who will speak hard things into your life, who will catch you and say, no, 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 I, wait, I thought you weren't going to be gambling anymore, and here you are sitting at a poker table. What, what's the deal with that? You told me you weren't going to drink anymore, but hmm, you got a six-pack in the fridge. Oh, I thought I hid that, right? Um, <clears throat> ask the community of God's people for help. Ask your leaders for help. And then look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the whole point of turning, right? It's to fix your eyes on Jesus. I, I often am blown away by when I'm running away from God, because we all do that. When you're running away from God, have you noticed that you're running like mad and you're just far, far away from him. And then when you turn around because you hit a wall or whatever, you, you turn around and you go, whoa, he's right there. Because you know what? He's chasing you. He's right after you. He's not distant. He's not far away. You're running like mad. He's running right behind you. So that when you turn back, boom, there he is. Look at him. Look at his face. Look at who he is. And then take a step towards him, a measurable step, a specific measurable step. I'm trying to lose weight. Ugh, it is so hard, right? I, I just, I hate it. I've, <laughs> I've lost 30 pounds. I'm kind of proud of myself. 
went to the doctor this past week and she just was gushing over the fact that I'd lost 30 pounds in two months. And, and she was also gushing that my blood sugar was way down and she was really happy. It's really rare that I go to a doctor and they're thrilled, right? And <laughs> so I celebrated a little bit, right? But then I went right back to eating more vegetables and less, no pasta, and you know, doing all the things, right? So take a little step. I come home and instead of celebrating by eating a lasagna, which is what I crave, <laughs> I ate a nice piece of steak and some vegetables and a small baked potato. And then I celebrated that. Celebrate your victories. Celebrate the little victories. I, I think of all the things that I've done. I, it's never enough. Like I think, okay, I've lost 30 pounds. I used to weigh 250 pounds and now, I mean 300, which 250, please God. Um, <laughs> I, I used to weigh 350 and, and now, this evening on the way, before I came, I weighed 317. So I'm, you know, I'm getting there, right? And, so celebrate that. Celebrate it and share it with you all. You're supposed to clap. Um, <laughs> good job. <laughs> this church needs some work. I've got some. <laughs> celebrate these little victories. And then thank God for his grace. I didn't do this on my own. I didn't do this because I'm really good and I have willpower. No. Thank God for his grace that keeps me on this path for now. And then persevere. Perseverance is such a great thing. Persevering. Just keep on keeping on. There's some part of me that wants to go, eh, I could have a lasagna every once in a while. No problem. No, keep eating vegetables. This guy that designed this diet said, you're going to eat vegetables until you fall in love with vegetables. That day has not come. So, <laughs> And then, folks, repent again if necessary. Because you're going to fall sometimes. You're going to fall. It's not going to go the way you hoped. So repent again. When you fall away, turn back. Just keep turning back. Now, some of you are thinking, Rod, that's a whole lot of work. I think I'll just pass. God can keep waiting for me to repent. It's just too much. He, he'll have to continue to be patient with me. It's too costly. I'm just going to do the easy stuff of Christianity and forget the repentance thing. But you don't get an escape hatch. Paul reminds us in Acts that we don't get to ignore repentance. Acts 17.30, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands, commands, commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere. You hear that? All people everywhere. You are all people, everywhere. Repent. 
and hasten that great day when Jesus returns. Let's pray. Father, you invite us to repent, and then you command us to repent. Help us to do that, to not walk in shame, not walk in hopelessness, but to turn to you knowing that you invite us to life itself, life that is found in you when we repent and believe. Lord, haste the day. Hurry the day. Make that day come soon when your Son returns in all his glory and we can celebrate eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.